Hello folks, welcome back and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. And before we get into this week's show, I'd like to tell you about my new group coaching program, which launches January the 1st. Throughout this program, I'm going to hold your hand and help you cut through the BS, guiding you to the start line of your key race to make sure you get there in the best shape possible. It's going to be limited to 15 people and I know it will fill up quickly. So before you jump through to the show notes and click on the join button, let me tell you what you're going to get. You'll get training programs designed by me for your winter build phases and your race specific plans for your key events. You'll get my personal guidance to help you fit the plans to your lifestyle, your work schedule and your race goals. And every month we'll have group coaching calls with lots of hot seats where individuals among you can put your issues to the group and we can help you to solve them on those specific issues. There'll be mobility and strength plans and I'll provide guidance on nutrition, sleep and stress management. And you'll also have the opportunity to book private one-to-one calls with me. Finally, there'll be a private WhatsApp group to allow you to connect with other group members. Finally, there's a huge bonus because Mrs. Ward, as you might have remembered from previous intros, is a life coach and she's joining us so that each month on our group calls, she's going to share insights onto a specific life coaching issue to help you work through some of the things that might be limiting your opportunity to train. And there'll also be an opportunity if you choose for you to work with Beth on a one-to-one basis, although that will be outside of the cost of the group but it'll be on an exclusive rate which only you will get access to now the investment for this is just 100 pounds a month and you can find a link to that in the show notes if you've got any questions please drop me an email and i'll be happy to answer those all right let's crack on it's nearly christmas and you know what that means yes it's time for a grumpy old coach's christmas reunion now, last year we recorded our show live from the pub and it proved to be quite popular with the coaches as you might imagine and the listeners so we've decided to continue the trend so last friday we all went over to wigan and recorded the show from mark's local the white lion and i hope you like it as we were getting going we calculated that between us we've probably got over 80 years of coaching experience and about the same number of years of competing in triathlon Although Mark would probably say he's the only one that's actually competed. Me and Steve are just participants. Anyway, as we're all knocking on, we decided to have a chat about how our approach to training has altered with our age. And then it seemed only natural to talk about how our approach to coaching had changed. Finally, Mrs. Ward, who definitely isn't grumpy at all, got the opportunity to ask a few rogue questions to add a bit of fun. We all had a great time and we hope you enjoy it. So Merry Christmas and let's crack on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the annual Grumpy Old Coaches Christmas podcast from the pub. Got a lot of good feedback about the pub last year because uh, we got interaction from the bar staff. One of the lovely ladies is bringing coffee out now. Thank you very much. Okay, so it's decaf. So, uh, as usual, I'm joined by Mark Laithwaite. Ho, ho, ho. And Steve Lumley. Season's greetings. And a new addition for this year, Mrs. Bethany Ward. Hello. Nice to be here. Bringing an international flavour to the uh, proceedings. So, um, Beth is going to 
join us as the ringmaster, quizmaster, just the master later on, because she's got a few she's got a few random questions to ask us. But I thought that you know we've known each other a long time, and we've all been in triathlon a long time. I think if you totaled it up, it's got to be over a hundred years now, hasn't it? Yeah. So we thought we'd talk about how age is in, and, and aging and getting older was impacted as both as athletes and as coaches. So. Um, I think we probably all started as athletes before we became coaches. So, Mark, you, you had a few thoughts on how your approach to training has changed. So just give us a, a sort of like a, an overview of what you're doing now compared to what you did when you first started doing triathlon. Well, in a nutshell, not very much, to be honest. I do think it's quite interesting that this is a subject that none of us would have probably been interested in 20 years ago. But it's only as you age that you start yeah. to consider these things, isn't it? Of course. You know? Although what's quite interesting is I think the triathlon in particular, I do feel like at the moment with triathlon in particular, and I, I say I feel like it, I know this because I see the statistics, there is a very ageing triathlon population as well. So the average age of most of the triathletes that take part in our events are probably now into the mid-40s. Mm-hmm. That's perhaps a different discussion for later on about why there are no youngsters coming into the sport. But yeah, I think in triathlon in general we have this kind of ageing population. And... Uh, being one of them, it's something that's suddenly become of interest to me. But um, I think in, in general, if, I, if you're asking me the question how my training has changed, I mean, I'm not doing as much uh, as I certainly was. When I was younger, I was very, very competitive, and I think I was very serious about it. But um, I, I ultimately now... Yeah, really serious. My results showed, Simon. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Clearly, I wasn't very yeah. serious. <laughs> I think now for me, it's, it, no, you know, it's, it's got to be... serious and, and good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Mark yeah. was both serious and good, and I wasn't. <laughs> Seriously bad. Yeah, yeah. You were serious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel that it's, uh, it, it's more about lifestyle and general health and well-being for <clears> me now. Uh, that said, though, you know, I mean, it's not for everyone, is it? Because, I mean, you will know. You're, I presume you're probably picking up people who are 40, 50 years of age, and for the first time ever doing their first triathlon so i expect yeah. they're probably like 25 year olds yeah absolutely and maybe coming into the sports uh, uh, you know good idea you'll still be enthusiastic at 75 <laughs> not like us jaded old fellas well you three have been doing it obviously like you said for a long time so when you were in your 30s 40s did you have old guys such as yourselves to look up to then who 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 would be the equivalent of you back then Ooh, that's a good Patrick Barnes. Do you remember Patrick? Patrick would be the extreme example. Would be the extreme example back then. I think he was eighty when he yeah, started, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> and he went on uh, through his eighties. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody who was closer to my age now. Back Steve then, True. Um, Steve Howard. Steve True never competed. I think that's a myth. He's he's um, he's he. he he propagates on uh, Facebook. I don't, I don't think he's ever done anything, really, Steve. <laughs> I like Steve if you listen. I'm tr- well, I'm trying to think if there were, um, if there were people that we'd look up to as a bit older, they probably still wouldn't be going now. But I, I remember, like, Bernie Shrewsbury. Bernie Shrewsbury, yeah. But, he, when, you know, would, you think of him as an old guy when I started. He was probably 30. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were certainly guys in the club. Uh, there was a guy called Pete Drust who, who was a vet when I started. Um... No longer with us, unfortunately, but he was a very good athlete, very good mentor. Um, I think, it, well, even now, I, I've got uh, uh, two new heroes in triathlon. Well, one in triathlon, one in um, in, in sport or a- athletics. Thanks, in- Steve, thanks. Oh, Honestly, no, there's no need, Steve, <laughs> there's you, no yeah, need. Thank you, thank you. No. <laughs> um, 
one of them you'll know is Daft Belt. Because Daft Belt, Daft Belt, Daphne Belt is, I think she started triathlon when she was in her 50s. I've known her for about 25, 26 years, maybe. I think she sort of was quite well known at the time as, as being a sort of a, a middle-aged lady who started triathlon. <clears throat> Um, and she's now well into her 80s and still going strong. Wow. If you look, she's, she's quite active on social media. So if you look at her, she posts regularly posters of, mm. of her running uh, and training. And she clips along. Yeah. You know, and she's, I think, forgive me if I'm wrong, Daft, but I think 83, something like that. Um, She'll be on it if she's not 83. Uh, well, so. I, yes, I apologize. She, she's around that, you know, and, and uh, you know, she's winning, winning age groups at. Uh, at ITU and, and, and longer distances and stuff like that. So she's, you know, she's been going for thirty odd years and keeping it moving. What about you, Mark? Who did you who do you recall that was um, in the older age group when you started? Well, when I when I first started triathlon, I was a member of Liverpool Triathlon Club, and that's not Mersey Tri. There was Mersey Tri Club, and there was Liverpool Tri Club, and Liverpool Tri Club no longer exists. But it was basically just a group of about six fellas, and they were all in the like 60s, 70s, they're all of retirement age. And I met this old guy in the local bike shop who said he'd been mountain biking across the flower beds and getting told off by the park keeper that afternoon. And I thought, this guy's obviously still full of life. And I went and joined them, and they were very much... They would do things like social days where, let's meet up and do an Ironman this Sunday, and they would meet at the local swimming pool and swim in the morning at, like, 5 o'clock, and then they'd go and, you know, ride 112 miles and then run a marathon. They were all into the longer distances. So I kind of got in with this... Yeah, they, they were my peers, really. There's only like six or seven people in the club when I first joined it. But then I think one of the things that was interesting back then as well is that Ironman really didn't exist. I mean, I'm going back. So I I would have been 17 when I joined that club. So I'm 51 now. So you're going back 34 years. So Ironman as a brand didn't exist. But there were some Ironman events around. And um, But the people that did Ironman tended to be the older guys... I think it's a bit like in athletics where you'll see a middle distance runner will then take up 10k running when they get a bit older and then they'll take up marathon running when they get a bit older. At the time, it tended to be the older guys who did Ironman and the younger ones did the faster stuff. But yeah, no more. So, so I've on the daft belt um, sort of line there, Linda Ashmore, I spoke with on the podcast, 76, yeah, yeah. Uh, oldest person to swim the channel still doing triathlons, told me she rides a motorbike and tutors <laughs> people to ride motorbikes. Um, I spoke, uh, a friend of mine and Bethany's is um, an Irish guy originally, went to live in Calif- uh, in Colorado, as recently bereaved and coming back to experience Ireland and find out whether he wants to live there. 78 and planning his next assault on Kona to regain his world title. In fact, he's the guy I told you about. When I, when I thought when I, was, when I was in Kona in 2017, if I can keep going for 20 years, would I be able to win my age group in the 70-75 category? That race categorically told me no because he won it that year and overtook me about 10k <laughs> into the run. So I couldn't even do it then. <laughs> so there's no chance of me winning it now. Um, but I'm also thinking about, do you remember Pete Coulson? Yes, yes. Peter Coulson, his son Stuart was a very good junior triathlete. But Peter, I remember, he used to turn up long grey hair turn up in this white Porsche with this triathlon bike a Kestrel triathlon bike and I remember thinking wow that guy must be good he's one of those with no no seat tube disc wheel a lot of money and I came out of the swim he must have been just ahead because I overtook him on on my road bike passed him and then I thought yeah it's not all about the money is it 
<laughs> but uh, but Pete Colson, you know, was competing then. He was probably in his fifties or sixties. So yeah, yeah, he, he was yeah. one that sticks to mind. Um, okay, so Steve, what you know, what are you doing different about your training? And I, I want to also talk about this thing about identity, right? Because we've all identified. We've been triathletes. You know, if people said to you, "What do you do?" I'm a, I'm a triathlete, or I'm an Ironman. But but when you lose enthusiasm or the physical ability to be able to do that training, is there a part of your mentality that says, yeah, but I'm a triathlon, I should go swimming and I should go riding? And how difficult is it to move on from that? Um, yeah, I think that's, that, that is an issue that, you, you know, you do for so long, you do identify as X, Y, Z. And then if you're not doing it or if you don't do it or can't do it, it's probably probably worse if you can't do it you know if you're injured or ill or this there is something preventing you that that's not happened to me it's been a lack of motivation um it, over recent years which i am getting back a little bit um but i think i think the technical term is is it cognitive dissonance or something like that where your head says one your thing, head your says one thing and, you, and you sort of yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can't quite meet your your <laughs> mental expectations um, so that yeah, I think that it, it is it is a source of stress. You know, it's definitely a first world problem. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, um, and then that you know, I think that is certainly you know, I haven't I haven't swum for a, quite a few months now at all. And um, apart from my wife's nagging me because she paid my swim membership. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is that. Oh, I should I'm triathlete? I should be swimming. That kind of thing. I think probably Mark's got another. Uh, angle on this because he's basically retired, doesn't he? <laughs> for, for what he was saying Apparently. earlier. Um, but no, I think yeah, I think you know, and, and as we've said before, if you wanna if you wanna keep at least active and fit as you age, you've got to be enjoying what you do. So if there is a if there's a period where it's not enjoyable anymore, mm. then I think it's it's probably a worse to sort of keep at it and push through just because you identify as X, Y, Z, rather than think, okay, I'll have a break, I'll do something else, or I'll do nothing. Um, and then, you know, maybe I'll come back to it when I'm, if I want to, or I'll stick with the new stuff I've found, or I'll lie my ha- hammock all day and do sweet <laughs> FA. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I am coming back to it now. I think, you know, we, we won't mention it, we, we talked about it too much, but the... The Lakeland 50 I did has sort of re-enthused me a little bit and actually almost enjoying the turbo. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say again, but I don't think I've ever enjoyed it. <laughs> you, need to, you need to get a life, Steve. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my I suppose I was competing for kind of 33, 34 years. So I started racing when I was 17. I'm 51 now. And it was this summer just gone where I, I thought I'd take a bit of a backward step. And it's interesting because I always thought that when I stopped racing, because I love swimming, cycling and running, the social element of it, riding on Sunday with a group, and I thought I'll always carry it on even if I'm not racing. But actually, I've just completely stopped. And amazingly, I'm actually quite happy and I, I don't really have any kind of feelings of guilt. I mean, I do, I do want to exercise two or three times a week and go to the gym just because in general I know that I should exercise at my age two or three times a week just to stay fit. But, but yeah, no, I think there was a bit of a transition phase that I went through, but after like 30 odd years of racing, and that's what defines you as well. So I, I mean, the thing is, my, my work, my business, everything has been built off the back of me being a triathlete. You know, that's where my whole business has come from. So that's just defined me for so, for so many years. But um, 
I think for me as well, a lot of it was about that addiction. And I've kind of, um, I think I've just swapped one addiction for another and got into something else instead. And I enjoy that a lot more at the moment. What's really interesting for me, because you talked about your, you know, your business market, the same for me and Steve, you know, your triathlon coach, my, my handle on YouTube or Twitter is the triathlon coach. And I, I get a lot of people coming up saying, he's still racing site. <laughs> no, I'm not bothered about it. Why not? Well, I just don't get excited about racing anymore. I mean, I still swim and I still bike and I still run regularly, but I don't see any need to race. I, maybe I'd, I never really enjoyed that, pushing myself as hard as I could in the competition. I know some people say, I love being competitive, I love racing. For me, actually, it was more about the process. I like the training and the feeling of being fit. And what I like now is if, if you, Mark, said to me, oh, I'm going mountain biking tomorrow, I know that I'm fit enough to be able to say, yeah, okay, let's do it. Or if you said, Steve, we're going we're gonna to go on a three-day hike in, in Scotland, I know that I'm fit enough. Okay, we're going to go on a three-day trail running training <laughs> camp, Steve. I would never say that. <laughs> um, and I know that I'm fit enough to be able to do yeah. that without having to take months to prepare. And I, and I, do, I do like that. But and a bit like you, I've done some gravel bike sportives and I've quite enjoyed those and I am running a bit now I've managed to get over all those calf and Achilles injuries but I'm, I've not got any enthusiasm for doing anything longer than 5k so I'm thinking oh maybe one of these drafting draft legal sprint races might be quite interesting because then there's a bit of a bike handling skill element which I feel like most triathletes don't have <laughs> so maybe I will be back at a triathlon race next year so I'm not hearing a definite no from any of you <laughs> do you have another triathlon in you? Well, I just what a point I would make though is as well. I think what I because I've been doing triathlon for so long, so thirty three years of racing consecutively. I think in your 30, head, it was thirty four a minute. Thirty four, thirty four. But yeah, that was what you give me that beer. That's why thirty four <laughs> years of racing consecutively, and actually it's thirty four years of racing consecutively. But but um, the thing is, in your head, you feel like if I stop this, that's it. It's terminal. I'm going to stop. You know, so it's over with. You either carry on doing it or you stop, and that's the end of triathlon. Mm. But then, it, you know, I kind of realised, well, if I want to pick it up again next year, I don't think I've stopped for good. I just want a break from it at the moment. And I still love everything about it, but I just want a break from it. So I probably expect next year or the year after that I may well get back into it. But I think when you've been doing something so long, you're at risk of carrying on doing it just because you feel that you just yeah. have to. And you do, like Steve said, have to be careful. You don't kill it completely. You know, so I think I'll certainly get back into racing at some point in the future. But you know, in the short term, I'll give it a rest. Yeah, no, I I would say definitely I've got more triathlons in me. I've had a, I have had a bit of a break. I had uh, nineteen nineteen out of choice, twenty and twenty one from COVID. I did try two races in twenty two, which I didn't finish, which we talked about before. Let's talk about it again. Last year I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> He's forgotten. <laughs> like his bike wheel. I, I blanked. I blanked them. <laughs> Last year, I, I obviously I ran. I didn't. I didn't do any triathlon. So I've actually had five years without finishing a triathlon. Um, and again, you know, we have in in triathlon, we have the. I think it's it's a, a great thing that we have competitive age groups. Now I go up. You know, I'm thirteen year, thirteen months off sixty. Um, so I, I'd like to think I can uh, be competitive. You know in that age group if I get my um, arse into gear and the thing that hasn't sorry sorry Beth the, the thing that hasn't left me and I think I get this from my dad who is the most competitive person you will ever meet is I don't race as often but when I do I'm on that line wanting to win 
And I don't mean me out you, I mean outright. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to. But the, you know, I don't. If I if I do if I do race, I I'm competing. You know. Will we ever see Steve versus Simon at the start line in the well, same, because you're in the same in the sixty plus age group? Get him on a horse! Oh, no, that's, <laughs> I've been I've been on the horse all afternoon, which is why I'm why, why I'm probably getting a bit slurred. But um, uh, for those of you wondering what the hell I'm talking about, we've got a bottle of Equino and it's got a nice picture of a horse on the thing. Mark, Mark and Steve have been having a little joke about horses, which we'll come to later. Um, I, you know what you were talking there about that identity in COVID we saw that a lot of people that that were saying I'm a triathlete but I've got no races so I'm, I'm going to stop now like rather than enjoying the process and I think that what you do see like runners um, maybe or, or lifelong cyclists they fall into two categories the people who do it because they have to it's a means of getting fit and losing weight and they have to have a race at the end of it and the people who do it just because they love the social side and the process and the feeling of just being able to to go out when they please um so okay that that's our athletic careers sort of summarized well, what about what about as coaches i mean how long have you been coaching steve what was when uh, when do you remember writing your first program 95 yeah okay that's about the same for me what about you mark about 97 98 i think it would be okay so 28 years for you and me steve 25 years mark so this that's 56 80 years of coaching experience here so i'm really interested to know um there's a there's a the guy who founded linkedin says if you're not embarrassed about the first version of yourself you started too late right meaning that you shouldn't try to be perfect just just reflect and evolve so if you reflected on what you did when you wrote when you wrote those first programs what would you be embarrassed about i wouldn't be embarrassed about anything simon because i know that what i did helped people and now it might not have been perfect, and I might not. Have, I definitely wouldn't do the same now. That doesn't mean it didn't work for the people I was working with. Then, so I, I would say I've got nothing to be embarrassed about. People asked me for help. I stepped up and helped them, and they got better. Generally, you know. So I, I don't think, you know, certainly that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do things now, the way I did then, but then. Yeah, I'm 28 years older now. <laughs> but so, and I, I, that's a great answer, and um, I, I really appreciate that because what you did then, and then your willingness to be open-minded and learn, yeah, yeah. Has, has got you to the position you're in now. So, without what you did then, you wouldn't be where you are now, exactly. would you? So, yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. you can't you can't go back and undo the past. Just say that you've learned from it. What, yeah. what about you, Mark? Do you know what's quite interesting though? When I first started coaching, and I think back to the kind of programs I used to prescribe. They're very similar to the programs I prescribe now, but quite shortly after I started coaching, I started going off at tangents. And so I think I look back and I think what I used to do was kind of follow the trends too much and chop and change. So when I first started coaching, my view was very much that aerobic base work was really important and all that kind of stuff. And then I got drawn into all the trends and all the fads and I would change my view of, oh, this is the right way to do it now. And actually what I've done is come complete circle because, to be honest, my the person that gave me most advice was Dave Green. Does he still work with you, Dave Green? No, but no. I, I know yeah. Dave, yeah. And, and he was the person who gave me most advice and actually when I look at what we did then, it's come full circle and that's what I would advise now you know so it's you know it's interesting that you follow all the trends don't you and change your strategies yeah, and oh, this, is, late, wait, this yeah. is the latest way to train oh. and i've actually gone back to what i was doing yeah, no, 30 I, odd years I ago that. i mean a yeah. lot of it is 
I think it's done in Kruger, isn't it? Yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But there's also the fact that, yeah, you start off simple yeah. because maybe you don't know any different. Yeah. yeah. Um, or that you haven't got the confidence. Yeah. So you keep it you keep it nice and brief and simple. Yeah. yeah. And then you go through the sort of cycle of <coughs> gaining knowledge and trying to add bits and add this and make it more complicated and, yeah. you know, different factors and more gadgets and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And then you realise, actually, no, no. Yeah. No, that makes any what sort you're doing of 30 years any, any right. difference at all, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 then you, so you end up coming back to, yeah. and and the, that, that you know that is one thing that's changed, particularly with age group athletes that I work with, is that the leash has got longer, that, that I give them, and now I'm in the I would say it's a very privileged position that all the age group athletes, now I'm in my second decade of coaching them, hmm. and some we're looking at. Nearly 20 years mm-hmm. of, of coaching them. So, whereas before I might have written a program and so you know, XYZ on Monday, XYZ on Tuesday, you know, whatever, whatever. And like, if they haven't done it or they've changed it, I'm kind of a little bit right, well, what's going on here? But now I'll, I'll look at, I'll look at the, what they've done and I think, yeah, that's close enough. You know, do that over months and weeks and months and years and you're going the right way. Yeah. And, and and also because I've worked with them for so long, I can trust them that they're not going to do something really silly, you know. So you know, uh, Angie, if you're listening, this is, this one's for you. Um, <laughs> if, 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 if somebody puts if somebody puts like oh, karaoke's later, I didn't do that to her, do that to her about today because <laughs> the sun was out, so I rode for three hours instead. Well, good on you, you know. Yeah, yeah. you know that you're enjoying yeah. yourself, yeah. and you've you've made that decision to change it, and it. Over a long, you know, every year or a decade or whatever, yeah, makes no difference at all. No, if it was a run, then maybe you know, if you've gone out and run for three or four hours because <laughs> yeah. it was sunny, <laughs> but you know, I think you know, that's you trust your athletes to get on with it, um, and and sort of like I say, that that leash is a little bit longer. Um, it's slightly different, I think, with elite athletes, slightly, but not a lot, and it's been it's different in um, when you're working with a with a program with a squad you know and you've got a lot of people together the interactions there I think make it a slightly different approach so on the topic of keeping things simple and training 30 years ago versus now obviously you wouldn't have had any number of the gadgets that we have today so what if any would you have chosen to have 30 years ago that you didn't have Ooh. the only what you mean what if I could yeah if I could have had something 30 years ago that we've got today Bike power meter, nothing else. Yeah, I think so. Bike power meters would, would be useful, but it's not as much the the device. It's just the overload of data and over analysis of it. That's a bigger problem as well. You know, the, the, there's 14 graphs for every every piece of equipment. So I think yeah, bike power meter. I mean, bike power meters are really useful. When did the King Cycle come out? I mean, that you're probably going back quite some time. We had a king cycle yeah. at college. Yeah, we had one. Hmm. Chris Bormann's first nine, time I went nine, on 90s. I remember doing yeah. some tests at Leeds University in the late 90s. Uh, early 90s. I went on with... 92, maybe. When you when you were doing your sports science degree, was were they using those yeah, for yeah, testing? Yeah, this was before then. Right. That was, I think I did... I think our local cycling coach had one. It was about 92, mm. maybe 93. It was Peter Keane and Chris Baldwin, wasn't it? He possibly yeah. Yeah, triggered it. Peter yeah. Keane and Chris yeah. Baldwin triggered it. Yeah. So I, I would have a heart rate monitor just because I feel like heart rate monitors 
have a, a little bit more range. You know, you can use a, a, a bike power meter limited to cycling. I'm not dismissing their usefulness, uh, but I think um, a heart rate monitor just has a bit more um, usefulness. I think, I think you yeah, know, we just, had heart rate monitors when I very first started yeah, coaching. Yeah. They were out, weren't they? You know. Yeah. Well, I can remember. I can remember the first polo ones, which are like a brick on yeah. your arm. It was like one of those things that they used in Star Trek to have me beam, beam me up, Scotty, yeah. and and this and this chest strap, and they were about five hundred quid, and you got a big box full of things and a, and a few CD ROMs to load up to your computer for the software that one that wasn't very good, uh, but but they were very useful. But I was chatting with. I remember Bernie Shrewsbury and I doing a podcast, and he was ranting about all these gadgets, and he went. What about the kids these days? They don't realise that before 1995, we still set world records and people still won Olympic medals with just a stopwatch and a clipboard. Yeah. Well, it's, well I mean, we, you know, go, going to back what we were just talking about, I think we, we've, we've said in previous podcasts about increasing use RPE, and that's, that's something that's changed in the coaching as well. That, you know, you mm. start, probably started off with using RPE mm. because we hadn't got anything else yeah I mean there's a whole argument and there to say that by using heart rate monitors and power monitors you've, you're you've not listening no to your body yeah you? yeah and now I've come, definitely come full circle back to that and that you know RPE is probably the well definitely the most valuable yeah. um, what's the word tool yeah. tool if you like Someone said yeah. to me, like, our power meters and using the power meter on the bike or, or a, a, you know, a watt bike or something similar, which gives you a power region. And because the power will show you if you are improving, it clearly shows you if you're pushing more power, you're improving. And say, so, well, yeah, but so does better race times and winning races. Yeah. And that's all that matters, isn't it? You know, I, I, my first introduction to power was a computer trainer and I bought it from Simon. And it needed like a forklift to get it off the back of the van. It was like, <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what they were I t- built. I tell, I tell you what, Mark, I bet it still works. Yes, yeah, I've, I've still got mine now, and and uh, the the only problem with the computers now is that they've that the hardware has outlasted any like of the software. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. They, they yeah. Were, they were over engineered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure, yeah. I had a conversation with somebody about RPE, and he said this RPE is far too complicated, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm like it's about your body. It's one to ten. <laughs> yeah. How? What's it like sitting in your chair? Easy. What's it like running up that hill as hard as you can until you collapse? That's very hard, right? Well, there's one to ten. Just five bits in the middle. Yeah, but that's too difficult to work out. I've got a gadget that tells me all of that, and and that's that back to that privileged thing is if you miss out learning what your body's telling you, which is what the elite athletes have, then when the gadgetry fails, as it inevitably will do, what do you rely on then? I think the danger is the more the more you know, the uh, more complicated it becomes. And and you, st- I always remember the going back to this, that you were really the first person who introduced me to this idea of eight hours sleep a night because you really got into this thing about sleep, didn't you? I did read an interesting article. It was, I think it was in the Times or the Telegraph or something last year, and they were saying that with the introduction of sleep apps, lots yes. of people were sleeping a lot worse now. Yes, because. Now they had the sleep app to tell them how bad they were sleeping. It was really making them anxious when they were going to sleep, so they weren't sleeping. <laughs> it's called author and I, yeah, and I didn't know that I needed eight hours, and then you told me I needed eight hours, and then I started getting anxious because I was getting eight <laughs> hours and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> it's just like, oh, sorry, I didn't need to know this. I didn't need That's to know it. Analogy, but then though, you start it? thinking, like, yeah. that if you get six hours, like, I'm underperforming today. I've only had six hours sleep. So, uh, yeah, so I blame you for that one. Sorry. It won't be the first time in this podcast. In fact, you know that, though, I'm an early adopter on all these bits of technology, and I always like to kid myself that I'm buying them so that I can test them. So when people ask me about them, I can give them an honest answer. But really, I like to see what they do for myself. And I got one of the Whoop Sleep apps, and my wife used to say to me, is it, is it, 
is it useful that knowing how much deep sleep and REM you have? And I used to lie awake at night sometimes thinking, I better go back to sleep because otherwise my data's going to look really bad in the morning <laughs> and then stressing about it. So I know exactly what you're coming from. And then I ditched it and oh, do you know what happened? Slept better. Exactly. <laughs> so is there anything you have introduced now, Steve, in your coaching that you perhaps didn't do before? Anything that you think that you've understood as a result of getting older that's that's become more important? Um, yeah, well, well I mean, no, <clears throat> nothing specific. I think the need, you know, we just touched on the need for flexibility. Um, particularly in, as, in your approach to coaching or being being more bendy? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it's a mobility, Simon, apparently that, yeah. No, I think in coaching is... is trying to be a bit more not trying to be but being a bit more hands off if you like and the longer leash and, and being a bit more flexible and knowing that I, I see it when you when you present it with any given athlete you see a shape of what they need to do mm. and and it's kind of like um you, you sort of you, over time you shape the person to become the person that they want to be or the athlete that they want to be um so it's possibly a little bit less prescriptive. Although I set sessions, you know, every day. If if they're changed or altered, then it's it's less of a less of an issue for me. Um, um, and you know, as 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 I've aged and my athletes have aged, they do need more rest. Um, they do need more intense sessions, um, but longer rest with that. If they want to, if they mm. want to stay competitive, mm. you know, and then the difference between being competitive as well and being a, a participant, you know, being a participant for some is just as important mm. as, as being. Now you've hinted at it yourself. Um, some are very competitive as they get out, as they as they get older. Some aren't. Some just want to keep doing it and keep rocking up for races and having a go, which is perfectly valid. Mm. Um, and and sort of, you know, you just appreciate that you can't. Shoehorn people into the same pigeonhole if that's not mi- mixing metaphors. <laughs> well, mixed metaphors are fine. What, what, what about you, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that Steve said, which is, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of say exactly the same, really, given that people that longer leash and give them a bit more flexibility. I think you've got to be very careful prescribing training programs. When a lot of people sign up to a training program, so let's say they're training for a triathlon and you give them three swim, three cycle sessions, three run sessions a week you can create a, quite a situation of stress for them because if they don't do those sessions and, mm. you know, what they turn a different colour on training peaks, don't they? If you've missed them, are they a red or something? Yeah, yeah red. So yeah. you've got this diary that's like red saying, oh, you've missed that. And it, and it, people, I mean, I know people that get really anxious yeah. about it and it causes stress. So I think you've got to be reassuring people all the time that ultimately a training plan's supposed to help them and it's supposed to be an addition to their training it isn't meant to cause them additional stress because this whole thing is supposed to be enjoyable you know you're supposed to be helping people not adding extra extra stress to their to their week so giving that flexibility of saying look it's okay if you're missing this or missing that um because i mean consistency as well you mentioned this earlier that they, they do something slightly different it doesn't really matter because they're kind of going in the in the same direction as long as they're consistently doing something most days if they keep doing that they're gonna get better yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's not been to the exact detail that you've said so yeah i think that just that bit more flexibility and focus more on consistency and enjoyment and just if anything just always making sure we just avoid situations of stress where they feel that mm. because they've missed something you know that they're not going to achieve the goals yeah just sorry to come back i know this this is something i've learned from you simon is that 
again with with myself and with aging athletes uh, I think we were talking about it off air that a lot of the time they don't need to be going out and doing four or five six hour bikes you know week in week out because they've got decades of mm. of training mm. aerobic training behind them but they need to be looking after the what did you call it the body, the body work. work the body work so you know as much if not more strength work and that can be strength can be defined in lots of different ways but mobility as well you know i'm i'm a sort of I wouldn't say I'm a disciple now, but I'm certainly I'm certainly reaping yeah, the benefits. You're an occasional listener. <laughs> I'm sort of two or three times a week, if not more. But um, you know that that that's that's something I would I would prescribe for 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 older athletes, um, and that is something that I do. Uh, probably a bit more stricter about actually programming for them is is to make sure you get that in, um, and if that is at a cost of a swim bike or run session then that's the way it's got to be i think i'm probably on the same sort of pattern as you two um what i noticed a long time ago and encouraged me to get more knowledge about about nutrition and sleep is that what was letting people down wasn't their willingness to train or their enthusiasm for training it was the fact that they weren't getting enough sleep or they weren't getting mobile or they just they just weren't eating regularly and then turning up to sessions without any energy and not being able to perform. And so if you can get the foundation right and get healthy people, you can always put fit people on top of it. Mm. But the other thing that I've done, and you talked about this earlier, Steve, is I think when we started off as coaches, there weren't many coaches around. And then as we progressed, you know... The, the landscape has changed a lot and there's probably more triathlon coaches than triathletes now (laughs) but the other things you've talked about Mark but I probably got drawn into that let's make it more complex because complex and complicated is better right because it proves how much knowledge I've got and over the years I've become much more I suppose confident about that I'm thinking actually do you know what simpler the better and I've learned from people like Chris Jones and Malcolm Brown you know Chris Jones used to yeah. write a training Elements, session on it yeah Elements on your podcast write a session it. out on a scrap of paper and give it to people yeah. so yeah really interesting right anything else to add because I think we should move on now because Bethany's got a whole load of questions that she wants to ask us I was going to bring up the topic oh uh, okay Not, well horses later <laughs> um the elite triathlon or triathlon at elite level has it lost its direction ooh and I've never been an elite triathlete so I never had any direction of, you know across the board long short distance short distance what you mean with Ironman PTO and yeah, all that other stuff yeah I'll, I'll tell you why this is my my two pennies worth I have basically stopped watching ITU races live well I've stopped watching them catch up live whatever I still watch PTO races and I the only the only Ironman race I watched was Kona this year, um, because not because of the um, the results or anything, but basically because they're so boring. ITU races, especially, mm. they're not worth watching. Um, Do you watch I, Super League? Well, Super League, yes. I, I think let, let me finish on ITU. I think ITU races are at the point now where there's nothing to watch. You know, we watch. Why do you watch endurance sports, particularly on TV? Because you know, not many people watching live. You watch them because you want to see people endure. Mm. You want to see people struggling, overcoming that. 
you want to see people fatigued, overcoming fatigued, conquering fatigue, whatever. Okay. Now in ITU raffle eagle racing, you can't see that. Mm. You don't see it until the last mm. few k of the run. Obviously, in the swim, you can't see people's faces. Can that's I, fair? Can I say? Go on. That's fair enough. I was going to say something on that point. <laughs> the, the the bike is basically a procession. You know, you you, you can't see what's well, you can't see any effort on the bike. Rarely. Yeah. Um, usually, it's big groups. Usually, it's tight circuits. Lots of lots of turns. Lots of lots of corners. So the the motorcyclist can't get in amongst it and then it comes down to a foot race mm. and and usually it's the last couple of k 3k mm. on the foot race you know that's that's olympic distance draft legal uh, sorry uh, draft legal sprint distance is even worse yeah it's just not worth it, it's not worth now i'll, I'll contrast to what do i watch most sporting i watch cycling not because i'm cyclist but because the event the spectacle is much greater so if you take a, a one day race one day classic yeah why are they so, where, where does all the action take place well it takes place in the last 40 or 50k mm. which is probably the same as a, a, a triathlon but that action depends on the 200k they've already done and the fatigue that that 200k has induced and so that makes the and it, it, that makes the last 40, 50, 60k, much more exciting and much more watchable because break, you know, breakaways are more likely to happen. Mm. You know, incidents are more likely to happen. All right, in in draft legal ITU races, you, you just don't get that. Well, go on, Mark. At the moment, we're not getting it. So right. I think what you're really missing out on here is the characters that are in that event as well. Well, because when you watch the Brownleys race at their peak, it was a different spectacle completely. Yes, because, true, absolutely. Because you had a point where Alistair Brownlee could ra- outrun anybody yeah. in the field, yeah. but he wanted to drop them on the bike yeah. instead. and he could. And it was just yeah. a completely different spectacle watching yeah. it. You were waiting for the attacks, and then they'd come back, and they were going again, and he's screaming at people. And when you have that, I think you've got to look at the athletes as well, and, the, and, and they create the spectacle. Yeah. And, and the races, as I agree, it's become very stale. And I think, yeah, okay, that maybe does, does the race need changing, or do the athletes themselves need to? Well, I think... I think two things there. Yeah, one you talk about Alistair and and Johnny to a second extent, but basically mm. Alistair was a, a, a massive outlier in terms of a his physical mm. ability mm. and b his character. That he was and he is a racer mm. through and through, and he would, and he had the he had the ability to attack anywhere and, and make it stick. Um, there's nobody like that now. No. There wasn't no. before, to no. be honest. So you know he's come along. I have I do have a solution. Oh. Well, oh. first, uh, let's, sorry, let's go, just go back to um, put a horse su- in it. Su- super, <laughs> super horse. league. Put a horse in it. Su- <laughs> I think for the first for the first few years of Super League, that was, I think it was great. They really. What's happened to Super League? Is it still going? Well, well I don't really yeah, know. There you go. Yeah, it now. There you go. Um, they were really innovative. They changed. Yeah. They changed the format. They put things in like the um, short shoes and all that that made it worth watching because it, it brought some jeopardy and some elements of uh, randomness into, into things and that's why we want sport we don't want sport because we want we know the outcome we want the surprises we want the shocks we want the you know the uh, the unexpected um, and, and, and Super League certainly did that I think they've gone 
they're at the point now where they, you know, it's the equivalent to gladiators or <laughs> they've gone a bit too far with it. Well, maybe they should with bring the team sticks in. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. On a I think, Alex, ye, you will go on my first whistle. <laughs> I think you know what 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 ITU what ITU you know, this is my two penny what ITU what ITU could do should do could do we'll have a short Johnny Bradley will go by a second <laughs> whistle second whistle gladiators go he's a bit like that isn't he? get some big earbuds in it together with him captains and all that I've lost the track what was I saying oh yeah I see it right I think you've no, finished. No, ITA, ITA, right. <laughs> Firstly, change the bloody bike course, at least. Make it hilly. Put yeah, some hills in. Yeah. All right. Maybe some gravel riding where they have well, to get off, carry yourself. Yeah, well, not. well there's, there's the thing, you see. What, if you're going to watch an hour's race, yeah. what are you going to watch? You're going to watch cycle cross. Mm. Why? Because the courses are that hard that the skill element required is, is massive. Bit of mud. The fatigue. Bit of gravel. It fatigues... Yeah. Cyclists much more than an hour's looping around tarmac does. Mm. And you've always got the possibility of incident. You know, people are always, you know, always going to come off. Mm. The winner nearly always comes off. Yeah. You know. That's why if you look in cycling, people like Tom Pidcock. It's yeah. characters yeah, well, that make you it. come off often, yeah. Yeah. Because well, Tom yeah. Pidcock's forced you off. He's forced you off. And he's a Yorkshireman, of course. But yeah, but for, for good to say, put some hills in. Yeah. And the other thing is stop these tight circuits where camera film crews can't... If you look at the cycling coverage, TV coverage, it's much better. Yeah, but they and could it, get those bike-mounted cameras, couldn't they? On the bikes. You know the ones like they have yeah, in the peloton? You can't see the faces. And you, also, you know the, also, the other thing is, when you watch the cycling, you've got commentators and no and they can talk to you about the tactics why has he done that yeah. he's got no chance of winning so why has he gone up there now why is he waiting for him to come through they can explain all that and they'll be telling well this team will be wanting to do this so this team are going to do that it's like in triathlon are they racing as teams some teams do are they racing as individuals just wearing the same jerseys well I mean sometimes yeah like I say sometimes they are sometimes they're not but mm. that's something to talk about but I think the, the difficulty is it's a simple thing is that if you've got a lot of dead turns or, or, or sharp corners the, the motorcyclist the cameraman can't get you can't see the athletes faces because they're constantly having to back mm. out of the action yeah. whereas if you look at um, if you look at cycling coverage mm. where that doesn't happen then and, and you've got you've got close-ups <coughs> of faces you've got close-ups of suffering you've got so close-ups of fatigue and or you know relative fatigue lack of fatigue whatever even if you're looking at an hour's race up an Alp, I would rather watch that than a sprint distance ITU race mm. because you can watch suffering and mm. endurance and you know people's lack of it. Or it's just saying a lot about Steve's psyche, this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, suffering. <laughs> <laughs> just want to see their faces suffering. True though. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit.
If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. Steve, I like your idea of introducing more excitement into racing. So you two, Steve and Simon, you get to pick a surprise fourth element to introduce at one of Mark's future triathlons that he puts on. So what surprise element do you introduce? Oh, you mean other than horse riding? Other than horse riding. Kayaking? Yeah. That's, called, that's called a quadrathlon. I think it's been done before. Yeah. It may still exist. Um, now, one thing I did think of that way back when in my club we used to joke about was having a, a mystery triathlon where you turn up, but you don't know the distances you're going to race or the order you're going to race in yeah. until, you know, a short period of time before. That sounds like you going to one of Mark's triathlons, Steve, <laughs> when you didn't know what race you were doing. No, I knew what race I was doing. I didn't realise he needed the back wheel. <laughs> Did you not say to him, I didn't realise it was so hilly, and he said, that's why it's called the Epic Man, Steve. <laughs> oh, that is true, yeah. yeah. So, well, I, I was touching on this in the previous one. I think we should introduce darts, right? I mean, we know how popular it is at the Alley Pally every year. People love the darts, but you're a great swimmer. You come out of transition, you've got a 30-second lead, or you come out of the swim into transition you've got a 30 second lead but you've got to throw a double top before you can take your wetsuit off right and you're wet you're breathing hard you can't even hit the board in comes the next person who spent a bit of their youth in the pub bang 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 in you go double top on the bike right when you get back into transition two before you can take your bike helmet off and put your shoes on you've got to throw a bullseye now, I think even, no matter how good you are at darts, throwing a ball's pretty challenging. That's going to change the order of things. And I reckon we could, if we did that at ITU, that would solve, solve Steve's earlier problem as well. Could present some issues with having darts in transition. <laughs> we'd have to, competition, we'd have, can change a tyre the fastest. We'd have to have individualised dartboards at every station. What do you think, Mark? Which one are you going to introduce? I think fixing a puncture. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the carnage in triathlon fixing a puncture in transition? We actually had, we actually used to do that. I know you and Jack were talking about the old days of the uh, uh, the regional academies, mm. and we actually did stuff like that. You know, strip, yeah. make them change a tube before. I tell you what I like is some of the stuff like that they never really got into triathlon was team tactics. You know that you see in cycling where you're talking about like, you know, there'd be a breakaway, but someone in the breakaway has actually just been sent up the road as a domestique for someone else who was going to attack later on. And I, I always remember, I don't remember how many, many years ago it was, I went to race the European Duathlon Championships in, uh, in Belgium. Got a silver medal, just want to put that in there. And uh, came in with a silver medal. And, 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 and Benny Van Stielent won. Belgian. Do you remember when he, yeah. then he died, didn't he? he did, died killed. in an accident. Yeah, he was yeah. killed or... Yeah, yeah Benny uh, Van Steelen. Yes. He was killed, but I don't know how it yeah. was. Accident. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, um, but uh, when you watch it, they were absolutely working for him. They were all working yeah. for him on the bike, and it was just... It was what you see in cycling, because... Which Olympics was it they were talking about bringing in teamwork and they were oh. going to bring a domestique in for the Brownleys? Um, London. Well, London, they got Stuart, Stuart Hayes. That's right, yeah. And then Gordon Benson at Rio. Yeah, who never got made a lead pack anyway. But I always remember that. I always remember that with the... Um, I remember before London, they, they said the third spot, we're just going to give it to a domestique because we haven't got anybody who's strong enough to be a medal contender. So we need a domestique. And they did a few races and where you had to prove that you were strong enough to be a domestique. And Alistair and Johnny Brownlee were in front practice when we were in the, and they were away on the, in, the, in the break on the bike. 
And Will Clark was in the chasing group and he sat on the front and drilled it to show how strong he was all day. And they said, I hope you've I've proved how good I'd be as a domestique. And I remember thinking, what? Chasing the Brownleys down from the second pack. Well done. To, to bring all the well other Well done. Contenders well done, mate. That's good. You know, really well shown you've been a good domestique there. But so that, but also I like the devil take the high most that they have in the track cycling and things like yes. that. So I think if, if they're going to keep ITU racing on a small circuit, the person who's at the back of the pack at the end of each lap should be out. With a big they're kick. out. Yeah. They just get pulled out. Devil take the high most. Can you imagine the carnage on the bike? That's what they should do. That's where you could use those pugil sticks to off the bike. Yeah. Just put, put like a, you know, a, a bike pump through the spokes or something <laughs> as you go past. Like American Flyers. Exactly. American Flyers. That's what a film that is. is. We're going to go and get Bob working our sprints. <laughs> we're going back back through the archives now, right, Bethany? We go, we need to move on because we we've got fifteen minutes left. Crack on with the questions, love. What would the listeners be surprised to know about you? Because I think they know pretty much everything. They know a lot of what you've chosen. What you've chosen. <laughs> they don't know everything. <laughs> give us give us something, a bad habit, or some surprising fact about you that they won't know yet. Steve's always jumping in first. I've never had a smallpox vaccination. <laughs> he said pox. Jesus. <laughs> so glad he said smallpox. Eh? <laughs> I did, didn't know where this was going. Oh, I've never had a small pox injection. Mark, what were we going to be surprised about for you? I was, when I was a junior, I was a British archery champion. Oh, you'd have been all right at the dance. Yeah, Robbie, yeah. So we could we could combine this with the devil take the hindmost. <laughs> Anybody who's last, last gets, one gets shot. <laughs> I'm a member of Mensa. Oh, <laughs> you see, stunned silence. Yeah, I, the, I didn't realise they had yeah. social membership. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Even my wife didn't know that one. And you're saying the listeners would be very surprised to know that about you? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, Not just the listeners. We'll leave it there. Not just the listeners. There's going to be a film made about the history of triathlon. Who plays you? Is there? Oh, there's not. This this is a, a made-up question. Not. Okay, just checking. If there were. I'm not a member of Mensa. Um, <laughs> obvious. Right, Mark. Um, who's going to play you? Joe Pasquale, every time. <laughs> What's the matter, you? No, that's not him, is it? Wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, now then. An actor, presumably. Sandra Bullock. (laughs) Is that when she's doing transition one and transition two? Steve. That's a topic for another episode. We're we're crossing the line almost there, aren't we? I'd say Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. (laughs) You know his character there. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. We just had a great pub lunch. What's your ultimate grumpy coach off-season comfort food? Heading into winter here. What do you eat when you're not training on a cold winter's night? I said, Mark, what do you have for every meal? Well, I used to have the same for pie and chips. That's what all I yeah, have, really. I Live off pie and chips. But I'm the kind of person who just, I have a very limited, you know people sort of have a limited vocabulary? I'm the same on a food menu. So if I start scrolling down the menu and I hit pie and chips, I don't go any further. But then I think a lot of people are the same with sticky toffee pudding, aren't they, really? So sticky toffee pudding's on the menu, you don't scroll any further, do you? Uh, I think it's, it's pie, pie and chips or fish and chips. Yeah. Well, we've all had pie and chips today, so I think, I think we're all the same there, Beth. Okay, well done. Let's see, if you had to describe each other using triathlon equipment, 
Describe what? Describe one another using triathlon equipment. What piece of kit would you be? Um, Simon would be a running power meter. Completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether to uh, think that that's genius because it was off the cuff, Steve, or whether to be insulted in the fact that you planned it. <laughs> You should be able to figure it out. You're immense. I didn't know that question was coming up. <laughs> what about Mark? How would you describe Mark? <sighs> a bit horsey. That's not a piece of kit. A piece of kit. Um, now then, what would Mark be? An old-fashioned, an old-fashioned toe clip. I don't know where this is going. To be honest, <laughs> no idea where this how, is going. How would you describe? S- simple but effective. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Depends on what you mean by the word simple, to be honest. Well, not in Mensa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you see, Simon's like, uh, he's like some kind of, I don't know, some kind of app that monitors your sleep and your blood sugar and everything else. You know, just way overcomplicated and unnecessary. And stresses you out. Yeah, and just stresses me out, yeah. Whereas I think Steve's like, Steve is like eight-speed Campag. Old and a bit outdated, but still classic. And, and oh, mate. Oh. <laughs> My desert island. I'm going to get it now. You, guys, you were brave to, to let Simon go last. <laughs> Do you remember those seat shifters that Mike Pig used? Yeah, it didn't last very long and no longer available. That's Steve. <laughs> Mark, <coughs> I, I was going to say a small but enduring piece of kit. So... I don't know, like a tire lever. <laughs> One that by the by the time that you have to come to use it, you're already pissed off and just irritated. That's it. And if you use it wrong, we'll bite you in the ass. <laughs> yeah. You've used ChatGPT to get these questions, haven't you? If you've got, you had twenty five questions on there. Well, I don't know if you want me to cover all of them. What's, well, do uh, just do a few random ones. Who would your wife say is the better cook? Why are the three of us? No. How does my wife know how they cook? That's what I want to know. Oh, that's a story. No, 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 no. Which your wife thinks is the better cook out of the three of us? Are you a better cook than your wife? And what does she think about it? Um. Well, the thing is, my wife's not going to be listening to this anyway, so I can say whatever I like. Who's the better cook? Steve's Uh, wife walked up just in time. I would say, um, (laughs) I'm probably the better. Yeah, I'm definitely the better cook. Definitely the better cook. I can heat stuff up in the microwave much more effectively than she can. Would she agree? She's not going to listen, so it doesn't matter anyway, really. (laughs) (laughs) As my my wife is sitting next to me, I better tell the truth. (laughs) She's far superior. (laughs) In nearly every way. In so much as I cook most of the food in our house, my wife would probably better say me, otherwise she won't get eat any food for a while. (laughs) (laughs) You are a good cook. Okay, then we have... A listener question from our good friend Louise Short and commentator Outlaw Races. Louise wants to know how has your understanding of the term athlete changed or developed over the years? Thinking of coaching pros and elites versus like common common athletes. Um, are we all still athletes and how does your approach differ to coaching one versus the other? Mm. I'll go first here because I see Mark and Steve are still considering their opinions. A long time ago I got a book by Phil Maffetone, who's since been a, a really interesting and insightful guest on the podcast, which was called Everyone's an Athlete. And I was really interested to read that at the time, probably in the 90s, that anybody who exercises regularly to improve the fitness is athletic. 
and is an athlete and has athletic aspirations even if they don't think about it and I know a lot of people don't and that did cause me to think then about how I responded to people you know it doesn't matter whether somebody's going from couch to 5k there's a performance element there or whether they're trying to qualify for Kona or the Olympics there's a performance element there and then as a coach our role is to try and make it as easy as possible for them to achieve that goal um, and help and our job is to assist that and and help them on the way so i wouldn't i wouldn't be judgmental about the fact that i've got somebody who's never run but wants to run 5k in a few months versus somebody who's done the first ironman and wants to qualify for hawaii yeah i mean it, an athlete is someone who's participating in any kind of athletic activity aren't we so everybody thought there's a whole spectrum of athletes in terms of the level of performance is, is different isn't it but um I mean, I think the, the approach really is exactly the same. If, the principle, if, you, if you have certain principles in the way you believe that you're going to make people faster, then it'd be exactly the same whether it's someone training for the first 5K or whether it's someone training for the Olympics. But the difference is people who are training for the first 5K probably have a lot of other commitments and a job and everything else. Whereas someone training for the Olympics, that's their own thing, that, that the only thing they're doing in life, and that's their only sole purpose. So I think it's, it's you know, adapting the, your approach you take, but the principles just stay the same, whoever it is. Yeah, I think that's... That's, I think you know the, the level of athleticism, if you like, changes. But I would say anybody who's, you know, f- for part of their life you're trying to improve your physical performance, for part of your life you are trying to maintain your physical performance, and then for a big part of your life you are trying to restrict the decline in your physical performance. You know, and if if you do that deliberately and and consciously you're an athlete and let's face it we are going to be doing the third of those for the most of the time Mm -hmm. so you know my dad is a perfect example of that sportsman all his life um he's now 84 and he last year he walked 2,000 miles does it you told us last time he goes out walking every day doesn't he every day you know some distance every day now he's been a he was uh, probably his main sport was rugby when he was younger. He was a he was a good gymnast. He was a good swimmer, good all rounder. Taught PE, you know, all his professional life. Took up golf when he retired. <clears throat> you know, he, I don't think he likes golf anymore, <laughs> but he, he's always liked the hills and mountains. So, you know, and and he now will, you know, he, as I say, he's exceptionally competitive. Now it's probably just with himself. He walks every day because he knows he needs to and he wants to and he likes it. He's an athlete. Because I'm just a, you know, regular athlete, I mean, I really get Louise's question as well. And so I feel like, like maybe a lot of people, and my, I used to feel like this as well, feel like you have to be or you should be a good athlete, whatever you, however you want to define that, to justify having a coach. So do you three get just as excited by seeing somebody, one of your athletes, complete their first 5K or complete their first sprint triathlon or whatever, as you do when you have an athlete podium in Kona do you feel the same level of satisfaction from one spectrum to the other end one end to the other Uh, yeah I've been on the finish line for a lot of athletic events whether that's the the 5k you talk about or being in Hawaii and I've had a lump in my throat at both of those watching athletes you know because in both cases the person was achieving something that they didn't think was possible at the start and then they've proven to themselves that with some consistency and application and a bit of grit and determination that they could do it and when you see the joy on their face that they've achieved that and you know what they didn't believe was possible that you know i challenge anybody not to watch that and feel some emotion at some level 
Um, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think you know it, it, it comes down to what they've what they've gone through and what they've done and what it means to them um, as, as much as anything. You know, irrespective of the level of the performance, it's the you know the, the journey. Journey is not how you use word, but the, you know what that athlete, where they started from, you know where they've got to, and, and what and really what it means to them. Hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, putting it into perspective as well, it's less than 1% of people participating are ever going to get onto the podium, aren't they? So you're probably looking at a 0.2% of the people who take part get onto the podium. So you're 99.8% of people are never going to get on that podium or qualify for Kona or whatever it is. So it's just about individual goals and individual progress, isn't it? And, you know, those are the bulk of the people that we're all going to work with ultimately. Oh, nice. Hmm. So we have one final question here, which is fitting because we do need to wrap this up so that Mark can get home and get the horses ready for Simon to ride. <laughs> David Terrell wants to know which one of you is buying the drinks. He adds, don't forget, Simon is from Yorkshire. Short arms, deep pockets. First out of the taxi, last to the bar. <laughs> Who's picking up the tab? Well, I'm picking up the tab. Thank you, David, for your uh, prompting. I'm happy to pick up the tab for today to uh, say thank you to Steve and Mark as always for being here and thank you Mrs Ward for joining us thank you it's great to be here yeah and I think you know that he is very generous and I know when Steve and we're sending our invoices for our time later in the post as well aren't we so um, yeah you thanks thanks Sam, for paying for that you still on the same hourly rate 75 pound yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I think what Steve was saying is are you still using the post yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he came in for travel i'm gonna claim 10 minutes dinner yeah, <laughs> right, and then anyway on that bombshell <laughs> we'll be back next week with some really good guests <laughs> thank you as always to steve mark and beth for joining me on this year's grumpy old coaches christmas episode we have a lot of fun recording these and if you enjoy them too and you've got suggestions for things that we could do next year to make it even more fun then let us know maybe you could invite us down to your local pub and we'll all trek down there to record the episode and you can join in too now talking about podcasts hopefully you've had a chance to listen to the bite-sized podcast i've been doing these for a few weeks now we've had nine episodes so as it's the festive season i'll be taking a little break from these for a couple of weeks However, if you've got any suggestions for future episodes, then you've got a week or so to send me an email. And if I choose your option, I'll give you a shout out as well. Now, if you enjoyed this and any of the other episodes, please could you help me by sharing with just one person who you think might benefit or enjoy the shows. And I'd really, really appreciate that. And if you've got a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Finally, please make sure you check out the show notes for links to all of the items I've mentioned, including how to email me with your future bite-sized podcast suggestions and how to sign up for our new small group coaching program. That's all for this week. I will be back next week with another awesome guest. But in the meantime, I hope you and your family have a lovely Christmas.